0: Pickman's Model by H.P. Lovecraft. You needn't think I'm crazy, Elliot. Plenty of others have queer prejudices than this. Why don't you laugh at Oliver's grandfather, who won't ride in a motor? If I don't like damned subway, it's my own business. And we got here more quickly, anyhow, in the taxi. We had to walk up the hill from Park Street if we were taking the car. I know I am more nervous than when you saw me last year. But you don't need to hold a clinic over it. There's plenty of reasons. God knows. I'm fancy I'm lucky to be sane at all. Why the third degree? You didn't used to be so inquisitive. Well, if you must hear it, I don't know why you shouldn't. Maybe you ought to anyway. Or you keep on writing me like a grieved parent when you heard I'd begun to cut the art club and keep away from Pikmin. Now that he's disappeared, I go around the club once in a while, but my nerves weren't what they were. I no, I don't know what had become of Pikmin, and I don't like to guess. You might have surmised I had some inside information when I dropped him, and that's why I don't want to think where he's gone. Let the police find what they can. It won't be much, judging from the fact they don't know yet of the old North End place he hired under the name of Peters. I am not sure that I could find again myself. Not that I'd ever try, even in broad daylight. Yes, I do know. or. I'm afraid I know why he maintained it. I'm coming to that. And I think you'll understand before I'm through why I don't tell the police. They would ask me to guide them, but I couldn't go back there even if I knew the way. There was something there. And now, I couldn't use the subway or... And you may as well have your laugh at this too. Go down into cellars anymore. I should think you have known I don't drop... Pikmin for the same silly reasons that old fussy women like Dr. Reed or or Joe Minor or Bosworth did. Morbid art doesn't shock me. When a man has a genius Pikmin had, I feel it an honor to know him, no matter what direction his work takes. And when a man has a genius Pikmin had, I feel it an honor to know him, no matter what direction his work takes. Boston never had a greater painter than Richard Upton Pikmin. I said it at first, and I say it still. And I'll never swerve an inch, either. When he shooed me that ghoul feeding, that you remember, was when Minnow cut him. You know, it takes profound art, and profound insight into nature to turn around stuff like Pikmin's. Any magazine cover hat can splash paint around wildly and call it a nightmare, or a witch's sabbath, or a portrait of the devil. But only a great painter can make a thing really scare or ring true. That's because only a real artist knows the actual autonomy of the terrible or the physiology of fear. The exact sort of lines and proportions that connect up with latent instinct to hereditary memories of fright, And the proper colors, contrasts, and lighting effects to stir dormant sense of strangeness. I don't have to tell you why a fuselé really brings a shiver. While a ghost story frontispiece merely makes us laugh, there's something those fellows catch beyond life that they're able to make us catch for a second. Doré did this. Semé did this. Agarala of Chicago has it, and Pikmin has it as no man ever had it before. I hope to high it ever will again. Don't ask me what It is, they see. You know it's not an ordinary art. There's all the difference in the world between the vital breathing things drawn upon from nature or models and the artificial truck. That commercial small fry reel off in a bare studio by rule. Well, I should say that the really weird artist has a kind of vision which makes models or summons what amounts to real scenes from the spectral world he lives in. Anyhow, he manages to turn out results that differ from the Pretender's mince pie dreams, in just about the same way that Life Painter's results differ from the concoction of a correspondence School cartoonist. If I had ever seen what- But no, here, let's have a drink before we get any deeper. Gad, I wouldn't be alive if I had seen what that man, if he was a man, saw. You recall that Pikmin's forte was faces. I don't believe anyone since Goya would could have put so much of that sheer hell into a set of features or twist of expression. And before Goya, you had to go back to the medieval chaps that did the gargoyles and the caméra on Notre Dame and Mont Saint Michael. They believed all sorts of things, and maybe they saw all sorts of things, too. For the Middle Ages, had some curious phases. I remember you asking Pikmin yourself one, the year before you went away. Whatever and thunder he got, his such ideas and visions, wasn't that a nasty laugh he gave you? It was partially because that laugh that Reed dropped him. Reed, you know, just had taken up comparative pathology and was full of pompous inside stuff about the biological evolutionary significance of this or mental or physical symptom. He said Pickman repelled him more and more each day, and most frightened him towards the last. That fellow features and expressions were slowly developing in a way he didn't like, in a way that wasn't human. He had a lot of talk about diets, and said Pickman must have been abnormal and eccentric to the last degree. I suppose... You told Reed, if you and he had any correspondence over it, that he'd let Pickman's painting go, get on his nerves or harrow up his imagination. I told him that himself then. But keep in mind, I didn't drop Pickman for anything like this. On the contrary, my admirations for him kept growing. For that goal feeding was a tremendous achievement. As you know, the club wouldn't exhibit it. And the Museum of Fine Arts wouldn't accept it as a gift. And I could add that no one would buy it. So Pickman had it right in his house till he went. Now his father has it in Salem. You know Pickman comes from old Salem stock. And had a witch ancestor hung in 1692. I got into the habit of calling on Pickman quite often. Especially after I began making notes for a monograph on weird art. Perhaps it was his work which put the idea in my head. And anyhow, I found him a mind of data and suggestions when it came to develop it. He shooed me all the paintings and drawings he had about, including some pen and ink sketches that would, I verily believe, have gotten him kicked out of the club if many of the members had seen them. Before long, I was pretty nearly a devotee, and would listen for hours like a schoolboy to art theories and philosophical speculations wild enough to qualify him for the Danvers Asylum. My hero worship, covered with the fact that people generally were commencing to have less and less to do with him, made him get very confidential with me. One night he hinted that if I were fairly closed-mouthed and none too squeamish, he might shoe me something rather unusual, something a fair bit stronger than anything he had in the house. You know, he said, there are things that won't do for Newberry Street. Things that are out of place here, and that cannot be conceived here. Anyhow, it is my business to catch the overtones of the soul, and you won't find those things in a parvenu set of artificial streets made of land. Back Bay is in Boston. It isn't anything yet, because it had no time to pick up memories and attract local spirits. If there be any ghosts, they're the tame ghosts of salt marsh in a shallow cove. I want human ghosts, the ghosts of beings highly organized, enough to have looked on hell and known meaning of what they saw. The place for an artist to live is North End. If any ascetes or sincere, put up in the slums for the sake of the mass tradition. God, don't you realize places like that weren't merely made but actually grew? Generations after generations lived and felt and died there in the days when people weren't afraid to live and feel and die. Don't you know that there was a mill on Copse Hill in 1632 and that half the present streets were laying out by 1650 i can chew you the houses that stood two centuries and a half and more houses that have witnessed what would make a modern house crumble into powder what do modern know of life and the forces behind it you call the salem richcraft a delusion but i wage four times great grandmother could have told you thing they hanged her on gallows heel with cotton mathers looking sanctimonious on mather damn him was afraid anyone might succeed in kicking free of this accursed cage of monotony i wish someone would have laid a spell on him or sucked his blood in the night i can show you a house he lived in i can show you another where he was afraid to enter in spite of all his fine bold talk he knew things he didn't dare put into that stupid magnolia with pure wild wonders of the invisible world. Look here. Do you know the whole North End, once, had a set of tunnels that kept certain people in touch with, with each other's houses and the burying grounds and the sea? Let them persecute the ground above. Things went on every day that they couldn't reach, and voices laughed at night that they couldn't place. Why, man, out of 10 surviving houses built before 1700, and not move since, I wager. In eight I can chew you something queer in the cellar. There was hardly a month where you don't read of workmen finding brick up arches, and walls leading nowhere in this or that old place, as it comes down. You should see one near Hinchman Street, that, that they elevated last year. There were witches and what their spells summon, pirates, and what they brought in the sea, smugglers, privateers, I, and I tell you, people knew how to live, and how to enlarge the bounds of life. In the old times, this wasn't the only world a bold and wise man could know. Fah! And to think of today in contrast with such pale pink brains that even a club of supposed artists get shudders and convulsions if a picture goes beyond the feeling of a beacon street table the only saving grace of present is that it is too damn stupid to question the past very closely what do maps and records and guidebooks really tell to the north end bah and i guess i guarantee to lead you to 30 or 40 alleys a network of alleys north of prince street that weren't suspected by 10 living beings outside of the foreigners that swarm them. And what do those people know of their meaning? No, Thurber. Those ancient places were dreaming gorgeously and overflowing with wonder and terror and escapes from the commonplace. And yet, there is no living soul to understand or profit by them. Or rather, there is only one living soul. For I haven't been digging around in the past for nothing. See here, you're interested in this sort of thing. But what if I told you I had gotten another studio up there where I can catch the night spirit of antique horror and paint things I couldn't even think of in a Newberry Street? Naturally, I don't tell those cursed old maids at the club. With Reed, damn him. Even as it is that I am a sort of monster bound down the toboggan of reverse evolution. Yes, Thurber. I decided long ago that one must paint terror as well as beauty from life. So I did some exploring in places where I had reason to know terror lives. I've got a place that I don't believe three living Nordic men besides myself had ever seen. It wasn't so far from the elevated as distance go. But it's centuries away as a soul goes. I took it because the queer old brick well in the cellar. One of the sort I told you about. The shack almost tumbling down so that no one else would live there. And I hate to tell you how little I pay for it. The windows are boarded up, but I like that all the better since I don't want daylight for what I do. I paint in the cellar where inspiration is thickest. But I have another room furnished on the ground floor. A Sicilian owns it, and I hired it under the name of Peters. Now, if you're game, I'll take you there tonight. I think you'll enjoy the pictures. For as I said, I let myself go a bit there. No vast tour. I sometimes do it on foot, but I don't want to attract the attention with a taxi to that place. We could take the shuttle at the South Station for Battery Street. And after that, a walk isn't much. We changed the elevated at South Station and at about 12 o'clock and climbed down the steps at Battery Street and struck along the old waterfront past Constitution Wharf. I couldn't keep track of all the cross streets, and I couldn't tell you yet which it was we turned up, but I know it was in Greenboro Lane. When we did turn, It was to climb through the deserted length of the oldest and dirtiest alley I've ever seen in my life. With the crumbling look of gables and broken, small-paned windows and archaic chimneys that stood out half-disintegrated against the moonlit sky. I don't know if there were three houses in sight that hadn't been standing in Cotton Mather's time. Certainly, I glimpsed at, at least two with an overhang. And once, I thought, I saw a peaked roofline at the almost forgotten, pre gramble type, though the Aquarians told us that there are none left in Boston. From this alley, which had a dim light, we turned on the left into the equally silent and still narrower alley, with no light at all. And in a minute, I made what I think was an obtuse angle bend towards the right in the dark, not long after, this Pikmin produced a flashlight and revealed an Antiluvian 10 panel door that looked damnably rotten. Unlocking it, he ushered me in the barren hallway, which was once splendid dark oak paneling. Simple, of course, but thrillingly suggestive of Andros and Phipps and the witchcraft. And then he took me through a door on the left, lighted on the oil lamp, and told me to make myself at home. Now, Elliot, I am what the man on the street would call fairly hard-boiled. But I confess, what I saw on the walls of that room gave me a bad turn. There were his pictures, you know. The ones he couldn't paint or even chew in Newsberry Street. And he was right when he said he'd let himself go. Here, have another drink. I'll need one anyhow. There's no use in my telling you of what they look like. Because the awful and blasphemous horror and the unbelievable loathsomeness and moral fetter came from simple touches quite beyond the power of words to classify. There was none of the exotic techniques that you would see in Sydney's Syme, None of the trans Saturnian landscape or lunar fungi that Clark Aston Smith used to freeze the blood. The backgrounds were mostly old churchyards. Deep woods, cliffs by the sea, brick tunnels, ancient, pantled rooms, or simple vaults of masonry. Copse Hill-bearing ground could not be many blocks away from this very house was a favorite scene. The madness and monstrosity laid in the figures in the foreground for Pickman's morbid art was preeminently one of demonic portraiture. These figures were seldom completely human but often approach humanity in in varying degrees. Most of the bodies, while roughly bipedal, had a forward slump and a vaguely canine cast. The texture of majority was of a kind of unpleasant rubberiness. Ugh, I can see them now. The occupants, well, don't ask me to be so precise. They were usually feeding. I won't sound on what, they're sometimes shewn in groups in cemeteries or underground passages, and often appear to be in battle over their prey, or rather, their treasure trove. In what damnable expressiveness, Pikmin sometimes gave the sightless faces of this charnel booty. Occasionally, the things were shown leaping through open windows at night or squatting in the chests of sleepers, worrying at their throats, one canvas shewed. A ring of them baying about a hanged witch on gallow hills, whose dead face can be held a close kinship to theirs. But don't get the idea that this was all hideous business of theme and setting, which struck me faint. I am not a three-year-old kid, and I've seen as much before, but it was faces. Elliot, those accursed faces. That leered and slathered with the very breath of life. By God, I verily believe they were alive. That noxious wizard had waked the fires of hell in pigment. His brush had been a nightmare. Spawning wand. Give me the decanter, Elliot. There was one thing called the lesson. Heaven pity me that I ever saw it. Listen. Can you fancy a squatting circle of nameless dog-like things in a churchyard, teaching a young child how to feed like themselves? The price of a changeling, I suppose. You know that old myth about how the weird people leave their spawn in cradles in exchange for human babes they still. Pikmin was shooing what happened to those stolen babies, how they grew up, and then I began to see a hideous relationship in the faces of the humans and non-human figures. He was. All his gradations of morbidity between the frankly non-human and the derangely human established a sardonic linkage in evolution. The dog things were developed for mortals. And no sooner had I wondered what he made of their own young, was left with mankind in the form of changelings. That my eye caught in a picture embodying that very thought. It was that of an ancient Puritan interior, a heavily beamed room with lattice windows, a settled and clumsy 17th century furniture, which the family sitting about while the father read from scripture. Every face but one shewed nobility and reverence, but the one reflected the mockery of the pit It was that of a young man in years, and no doubt belonged to a supposed son of that pious father, but in essence, it was the kin of unclean things. It was their changeling, and in a spirit of supreme irony, Pikmin had given the features of a very perceptible resemblance to his own. By this time, Pikmin had lighted a lamp in the adjoining room, and was politely holding open the door for me, asking if I would care to see his modern studies. I had not been able to give him much of my opinions. I was too speechless, with frights and loathing. I think he fully understood and felt highly complimented. And I now want to assure you again, Elliot, I am no mollycoddle to scream at anything that chew a bit of departure from the usual. I'm middle-aged and decently sophisticated, and I guess... You saw enough of me in French to know I'm not easily knocked out. Remember, too, that I am just about to recover my wind and just gotten used to those frightened pictures which turn colonial New England into a kind of annex of hell. And I had to clutch the doorway to keep from kneeling over. The other chamber had shown a pack of ghouls and witches overrunning the world of our forefathers, but this one had brought the horror right into our own daily life. God, how that man could paint. This study was called the Subway Accident, in which a flock of the vile things were clambering up from some unknown catacomb through a crack in the floor of the Boylston Street Subway and attacking a crowd of people on the platform. Another a dance on Cop Hill among the tombs with the background of today. There were a number of cellar views with the monsters creeping through the holes and rifts in the masonry, grinning as they squatted behind barrels or furnaces and waiting for their first victims to descend the stairs. One disgusting canvas seemed to depict a vast cross-section of Beacon Hill, With ant-like armies of the malphitic monsters squeezing themselves through the burrows that honeycombed ground, dances in the modern cemeteries were freely pictured, and another conception somehow shocked me even more than the rest. A scene in an unknown vault where scores of the beasts crowded around one who held a well-known Boston guidebook and was evidently reading aloud... All were pointing to a certain passage. Every face seemed to distort with epileptic and reverberant laughter that I almost could hear in the fiendish echoes. The title of the picture, the title of the picture, was Holmes, Lowell, and Longfellow lay buried in Mount Ashburn. As I gradually steadied myself and got readjusted to the second room of deviltry. morbidity, I began to analyze some of the points of my sickening loathing. At first place, I said to myself, these things repelled because of the utter inhumanity and callous cruelty that they shew in Pikmin. This fellow must be a relentless enemy of all mankind to take such glee in the torture of brain and flesh and the degradation of human tenement. In the second place, they terrified because of their greatness. Their art was the art that convinced when we saw the pictures, we saw the demons themselves and were afraid of them. And the queer part was that Pikmin got none of his power from his use of selectiveness or the bizarreness. Nothing was blurred, distorted, or conventionalized. Outlines were sharp and lifelike, and details were almost painfully defined. And the faces... It was not any mere artist's interpretation that we saw. It was pandemonium itself, crystal clear and stark objectivity that it was by heaven. The man was not a fantastia romanticist at all. He did not even try to give us a churning or prismatic ephemera of dreams, but coldly and sardonically reflected, reflected some stable... And mechanicalistic and well established horror world, which he fully, brilliantly, squarely, and unfalteringly. God knows what that world could have been or where he ever glimpsed the blasphemous shapes that looped and trotted and crawled through it. But whatever the baffling source of his images, one thing was plain Pikmin was in every sense, in conception and in execution, thorough, painstaking, and almost scientific realist. And I braced myself for some hellish effects among the unfinished canvases. And as he reached the bottom of the damp stairs, he turned on his flashlight to a corner in a large open space at hand, revealing the circular brick curve, which was evidently a great well in the earthen floor. We walked nearer, and I saw that it must have been five feet across, with Walls a good foot thick, and some six inches above ground level. Solid work of the 17th century or, or I was most mistaken. That Pikmin said was a kind of thing he had been talking about. An aperture of the network of tunnels that used to undermine the hill. I noticed idly that it did not seem to be bricked up, and that a heavy disc of wood formed uh, the parent cover. Thinking of the things this well must have connected if Pickman's wild hints had been not of mere rhetoric, I shivered slightly and then turned to follow him up a step and through the narrow door into a room of fair size, provided with a wooden floor and furnished as a studio. An acetylene gas outfit gave light necessary for work. The unfinished picture on the easel or propped up against the wall, were as ghastly as the finished ones upstairs ensued the painstaking methods of the artist. Scenes were blocked out with extreme care, in penciled guidelines told of minute exactitude, which Pikmin used of getting the right perspective and proportions. The man was great, I say it even now, knowing as much as I do, a large camera on the table excited my notice, and Pickman told me that he used it in taking scenes for background, so that he might paint from the photographs of the studio instead of carting his outfit around town for this or that view. He thought a photograph quite as good as actual scene or model for sustained work, and declared he employed them regularly. There was something very disturbing about the noxious sketches and half-finished monstrosities that leered around from every side of the room, and when Pikmin suddenly unveiled a huge canvas on the side away from the light, I could not, for the life of me, keep back a loud scream the second I had admitted that night. It echoed and echoed through the dim vaultings of the ancient and nitrous cellar, and I had to choke back a flood of reaction that threatened to burst out as hysterical laughter. Merciful creator Elliot I do not know how much Was real and how much Was a feverish fancy It doesn't seem to me That earth can hold A dream like that It was a colossal and nameless Blasphemy with glaring Red eyes that And it held in its bony claws A thing that had been a man Gnawing at its head As a child nibbles at a stick of candy its position was a kind of crouch and as one looked one felt as at any moment it will drop its present prey and seek out a juicier morsel damn it all it wasn't even the Fiendish subject that made it such a immortal fountainhead of all panic all that nor the dog face with its pointed ears, bloodshot eyes, flat nose, and drooling lips. It wasn't the scaly claws or the mold-caked body, nor the half-hoofed... None of these, though anyone, might have driven an excitable man to madness. Again, I imagine I'd be that true cool and might even buy a print of it. Like, I don't understand. It was the technique, Elliot the cursed and pious and unnatural technique. As I am a living being, I never else well saw the actual breath of life so fused into a canvas. The monster was there. It glared and gnawed and gnawed and gnawed. And I knew only a suspension of nature's law could ever let a man paint a thing like that without a model without some glimpse of the netherworld which no mortal, unsold to the fiend, had ever seen. Pinned to uh, with a thumbtack to a vacant part of the canvas was a piece of paper now badly curled up. Probably, I thought. A photograph from which Pikmin meant to paint a background as hideous as the nightmare it was to enhance. I reached out and uncurled it and saw it. Suddenly, I saw Pikmin start, as if he was shot. He had been listening with particular intensity ever since my shocked scream had had waked unaccustomed echoes from the dark cellar, and now he was struck with fright. Although not comparable with my own, had in it more the physical than the spiritual. He drew a revolver, emotioned me in silence, and stepped out of the main cellar and closed the door behind him. I think I was paralyzed for an instant, imitating Pikmin's listening. I fancied I heard a faint scurrying somewhere, a series of squeals or bleats, in a direction I could not determine. I thought of huge rats and shuddered, but then there came a subdued sort of clatter which somehow set me all gooseflesh, a furtive groping kind of clatter. though I could not attempt to convey what I meant in words. It was like a very heavy wood following on stone or brick, wood on brick. What did that make me think of? It came again, and louder. There was a vibration as if the wood had fallen further than it had fallen before, and after that followed a sharp grating noise, a shouted gibberish from a shouted gibberish from Pikmin and a deafening discharge of all six chambers of the revolver fired spectacularly as a lion taber might fire in the air for effect. A muffled squeal or squawk and a thud. Then more wood and brick grating. A pause and an opening of the door at which I confessed I started violently. Pikmin reappeared with his smoking weapon Cursing the bloated rats that infested the ancient well. The deuce knows what they eat, Thurber. He grinned, for those archaic tunnels touched graveyard and richden and seacoast. But whatever it is, they must have run short, for they were devilish anxious to get out. Your shouting stirred them up, I fancy. Better be cautious in these old places. Our rodent friends are the drawback. So I sometimes think they are positive acts to the way of atmosphere and color. Well, Elliot, that was the end of the night's adventure. Pickman had promised to show me the place, and heaven knows he had done it. He led me out of that tangle of alleys in another direction. It seems for when we sighted the lampposts, we were in a half-familiar street, with monotonous rows of m- a mingled tenement blocks and old houses. Charter Street it turned out to be, but I was too flustered to notice just where we hit. We were too late for the elevated and walked back downtown through Handover Street. I remember that walk. We switched from Trentmach to Beacon, and Pikmin left me in the corner of Joy, where I turned off and never spoke to him again. Why did I drop him? Don't be in pain. Wait until I ring for coffee. We had enough of the other stuff, but I for one need something. No. It wasn't the paintings I saw in that place. Though I swear that they were enough to get him. Ostracized in nine-tenths of the home and clubs in Boston. And I guess you won't wonder now why I have to steer clear of subways and cellars. It was something I found in my coat the next morning. You know the curled-up paper tacked onto the frightful canvas in the cellar? The thing I thought was a photograph of some scene he meant to use as a background for that monster. The last scare came to me while I was reaching to uncurl it, and it seemed that I vainly crumbled it into my pocket. But here's the coffee. Uh, take it black. Elliot, if you're wise, yes, that paper was the reason I dropped Pikmin. Richard Upton the greatest artist I have ever known, and the foulest being that ever leapt the bounds of life into the pits of myth and madness. Elliot, old reed was right. He wasn't strictly human. Either he was born in a strange shadow, or he found some way to unlock the Forbidden Gates. It was all the same now, for he's gone, back into the fabulous darkness he loved to haunt. Here, let's have that chandelier going. Don't ask me, either. What lie beyond that mole-like Pikmin was so keen to pass off as rats? they are secrets, you know which might have come down to old, from old Salem times. And Coffin Mathers tells even stranger things. You know how damn lifelike Pickman's paintings were? How we were all wondered where he got those faces? Well, that paper wasn't a photograph of any background, after all. It was what chewed was simply the monstrous thing he was painting on that awful canvas. It was the model he was using, and its background was merely... The wall of the cellar studio in minute detail, but by God, Elliot, it was a photograph from life.